Ah, thank you, Dave. Good morning. Uh, it's a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, we have, Janet and I have had the privilege of, of um, not only serving the Lord in missions, but uh, partnering with Highland Community Church for probably the last, um, uh, we were guessing, but around 13 years now. So uh, it's been a joy and a delight to meet so many people from this church and to have them involved in the various ministries that we've been in, uh, particularly in Sudan, where most of you uh, know of the work that has been going on there for a number of years now. But I've been given the opportunity to uh, speak this morning, and I want to open up uh, the Word of God to you and speak somewhat from my heart and my past and, and where the Lord has taken us and where He's leading us, and I trust that God will use his word to speak into your hearts as well. For the last um, 41 years, this month is a very special one for me because it was 41 years ago that I uh, got down on my knees and I told the Lord that I would stop living for myself and I would start following him. And he took me on an amazing journey. Um, I can't even begin to tell you the things that uh, he has done in my life. But um, the thing that impacted me the most, quite frankly, was the Word of God. I had um, committed my life to the Lord. I had asked Jesus into my heart some 18 months earlier. And um, I didn't get into the Word of God. I didn't, I didn't read it. I, um, I didn't go to church. I just thought, well, you know, Jesus is up there someplace, and I'm down here, and I'm going to try to do the best that I can. And um, I didn't do very well. And like I said, it was 41 years ago when I made the decision that, Lord, you're something more than just what I imagine in my mind. The Word of God changed my heart as I got into it and started reading it um, very consistently. It impacted me. I saw how it tra transformed the way that I think, the way that I wanted to live, and what I wanted to do with my life. Probably the most impactful thing was up until then, and that was about 27 years, up until then, my life was all about what I could get out of it, how I could spend myself to get as much out of it as possible. And I realized that from the Word of God that there was something much more than just spending our life. It was about investing our life, investing it into eternity. And that's what I wanted to do. I changed my values, or let me rephrase that. The Word of God changed my values, my outlook on how to live. And I realized that this life is an opportunity for us to serve the Lord and to live for Him and to invest in what is to come, not to just spend for what is now. We do the same thing. We just don't realize it. For example, those of us who have had children and who have gone on to college, or some of you who have children who will go on to college, you can have a tendency to look at it and say, well, I'm either going to spend for their college or I'm going to invest in them for their college. So it depends upon how we look at it and what our perspective is. This is a passage of Scripture that I want us to look at this morning. It's a very simple one. I would venture to guess if I asked you to raise your hands, how many of you memorized this, quite a few hands would go up. But it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It became a life verse for me, and so let's read it together. Put it up there. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let's say it again together with me, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. What a precious promise. I clung to that promise as I started walking with Jesus, as I started following him. Jesus no longer was somebody that was up there wherever up there was. He was much more precious to me. He was somebody that was in my heart. Now, in all honesty, if you've got your Bible and you want to, you can look at Proverbs chapter 3 because there's a few things that I'll reference in there. But the context of this verse is found in a broader context, starting in chapter 1 of Proverbs, verse 8, and going all the way to the end of the chapter, chapter 3 and verse 25. In that context, the father, this godly father who loves the Lord, is giving his son advice. He's telling him two basic things. One, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. Listen to my words because my words come from God himself. And he says to his son, if you don't listen to me, you're going to listen to other people and they're going to lead you astray. I would venture to guess that most of us have experienced that at some point in time. If we don't listen to what the Lord says, we're going to listen to others. We're going to listen to somebody. And that's what I did. The second thing that the father says to the son is seek wisdom. That is, seek what God has to say. Let his grace and his steadfast love, his mercy and his faithfulness guide you and lead you. In other words, he puts the emphasis upon God himself and he says, let him be the one who leads you, who guides you through life as you follow him. Now, when you get to chapter 3 then, and you look at the first uh, third and the fifth verse, what you find are three warnings. I call them don'ts. He says, I don't want you to do this. The first thing he says is, uh, I don't want you to forget what I've been teaching you. We have a tendency to forget. When you walk out of this service, probably within a short period of time, maybe a day it might last, maybe a couple of days, you'll tend to forget what was talked about. That's just the nature of who we are. If I asked you, if I went up to you and asked you, what, did you, what do you remember about the service two weeks ago? You'd probably scratch your heads and say, well, I don't remember what we talked about. We have a tendency to forget. He says, but don't forget what I've been teaching you. And in verse 3, he says, don't push God away. Let his grace and his faithfulness lead you and guide you. Don't push him away. And so when you get to verse 5, you get the third warning. It's stuck between two things that we should do, but the third warning is don't trust in yourself to understand what you have to do, how you're going to live your life. Trust in him. Now, that's not the way that we were brought up. That's not the way that we were told how to live out our life. We were told to, well, take the bull by the horn and go on our own and make a life of something. 
We're not told to um, lean on somebody else. We're told to lean on your own um, instinct, your own wisdom. And yet that's the exact opposite of what he says that we should not do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust and acknowledge his ever-presence with us. You see, the, you see the difficulty with that? The difficulty is that the way that we think does not take into account that there is an unseen presence that is guiding and leading us. In fact, everything in our country today scoffs at such an idea. You hear politicians talking about God, and they're laughed at. You hear college students talking to other college students about God. Or if they would ever say anything in a classroom about God is the one that I worship and he leads and guides me, they would look at you and they would laugh you out of the room. And yet it's interesting because that's exactly what the father tells his son in this Proverbs. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. The word trust there has the idea of relying or depending upon an unseen presence. That's what the word acknowledges equally has the idea. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him. The same word is used, um, its counterpart is used in John 14 when Jesus said, I'm going to send you another advocate or a paraclete, somebody who's going to walk with you and guide with you. So the Holy Spirit who is given to us as believers in Christ is the Spirit of Christ who is in us to guide us and to lead us through this journey that we call life. Now, as a young believer, I didn't understand that. I still thought um, Jesus was somebody that was up in heaven and someday that I would meet him when I died. I didn't see him as an active part of my life, and that was part of the reason why I went my own way and did my own thing until, like I said, about 41 years ago. And all of a sudden I realized that, well, he is near and desirous to guide me and lead me. About a year after that decision that I had made, I had gone to a Bill Gothard seminar. Um, uh, some of you are a little bit older as I am, um, will remember the name very well. Uh, very impactful seminar. If you've ever been to one, you know what I mean. Uh, Bill Gothard had a remarkable gift. And he used to do chalk drawings. How many of you ever gone to one? Anybody at all? Just a few of you, yeah. He did marvelous chalk drawings. He would talk as he did these chalk drawings. It captivated you. And so he was talking and doing a chalk drawing one night, and he started talking about restitution. And as he was speaking about restitution from the Word of God, the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to my heart, and he was saying, do you remember, Ed, when for the last five years you've not paid taxes to the state of Wisconsin? You see, I was in the Air Force, and I was all over the place, all over the world. And I wasn't living in Wisconsin. And so in my rationale, I kept on telling myself, I'm not going to pay taxes to the state of Wisconsin. I don't live here. It's not my responsibility. But yet I knew that it was against the law to do that. I knew that I had to pay it, but I didn't do it. 
So all of a sudden, I'm listening to God speaking to my heart, and he's saying, what about these taxes that you owe? And I knew exactly what I had to do, but I was scared to death because you know as well as I do, if you don't pay your taxes, what happens? And you get caught, well, you pay a penalty, and you got to pay interest. And so I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, am I going to obey God? Am I going to resolve this? What am I going to do? And I knew what I had to do. And so when I got home, I wrote, sat down, and I, uh, I took all of my previous tax statements. I added up my income. I sat down, and I wrote a letter to, this, to the Department of Revenue in the state of Wisconsin. I was living in um, California at the time. And I said, and I explained the situation to them. I've been in the Air Force for the last five years. I not paid taxes to the state of Wisconsin as I should have. And um, here's what my income was for the past five years. Please let me know what I owe you. And I'm, with fear and trepidation, I'm sitting there thinking, I have no idea how many thousands of dollars this is going to cost me. But I knew it was the right thing to do because God was speaking into my heart. And so I got a letter back some weeks later, and it simply was a very short paragraph in official stationery, and it says, uh, we've reviewed your case. This is what you owe. We've waived the penalty and the interest. And I was flabbergasted. But more than anything, what I realized was that God was working in me and showing himself to me in a very powerful way. And it, and it, it was a transforming moment for me. You see, here's the issue that I'm trying to get across to you. A lot of times, we don't want to trust. We don't want to lean on him. We want to take the bull by the horns and we will say, well, you know, listen, I'm going to do the smart thing. I'm going to do what I think is right to do. And that means even at times disobeying him, disobeying what he says in his word. And that usually leads to disaster. There's a quote that I want to show you um, I ran across. It's from an old Scottish preacher back in the 1700s. I know if you sit there and you think, well, what does a Scottish preacher have to say to us today? I think you'll find it rather interesting. It's an intriguing one. He says this. Having prayed, we must wait for God's direction, not by a voice from heaven or by a new inspiration, but by his spirit enabling us to understand his word and apply it to a particular affair, and his, by his providence making the way we should walk close to us. There's a couple of significant things in there. He, first of all, he says, having prayed, we must wait for God. We're very impatient people. We don't want to wait for anybody at all. We don't want to wait for, I don't want to wait for my wife as she's delaying and getting ready. Let's get going. No. But he says, having prayed, wait for the Lord. Why? Because if he's present with us, why would he not respond? Why would he withhold himself in giving us guidance when he says, I promise that I will lead you? Well, of course he wouldn't. The issue is not him. The issue is, are, am I impatient? That was my greatest fault, was I was a very impatient person. I wanted to do things right away. He says, look, at the Spirit enables me to understand his word. It is the word of God that affects us, that changes us the most. 
And it's the word of God that causes us to understand and see what he has in mind for us. And then he says, by his providence. (laughs) I love that statement. By his providence simply means God shows up. He makes himself known. That's all it means. He makes himself real. He's here. He's in this room right now where two or three are gathered together. He's with us in our midst. He's here. If he wanted to, he could part the heavens and show us Jesus. He did it with John in the first chapter of Revelation. He can do that if he wants. By his his providence, he makes himself known. This is important because, you see, God's ways are not our ways. We think we know the way we want to go and the things that we want to do, but it's not his way. Oftentimes, it's not his way. When, when Janet and I felt God's call to missions, we had it in our mind exactly where we were going to go. We wanted to go to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, so that we can be involved in a church planting team to reach a Muslim unreached people group. It was a Great thing. That was in the mid-90s. It was um, uh, Muslim unreached people groups was the, was the thing then. Everybody, a lot of churches wanted to get on board. A lot of people wanted to get on board and start doing that. And the Lord spoke to our hearts in a service, in a mission service, and we said, yes, we'll go. But then a couple of years later, there was a leadership change in our mission, and... Um, the, leaders, the mission leaders came to us and said, well, we want you to go to Nairobi instead, and we want you to work with the Sudanese. And we said, well, thank you, but no thank you. We're happy right where we're at. And they said, no, no, you don't understand. You're going to go to Nairobi, and you're going to work with the Sudanese. And we didn't want to do that. Because, you see, God had put an impression upon our hearts initially that the gospel needs to go to Muslim unreached people groups. And we were targeting a Muslim unreached people group, the Wazaramos, and that's where we wanted to stay. And when uh, we started, when we were told about this, that no, you don't have a choice in this, we honestly sat there for a second and prayed and thought about, or talked about the fact that maybe we should just get out of missions if this is the case. And as we prayed about it, the Lord said to us very clearly, no, this is my doing, not theirs. And that completely confused us. Because you see, we had had this sense of taking the gospel to a Muslim unreached people group, and that's where we belonged. But yet now all of a sudden God was changing. No, I've got something else in mind. He had that in mind all along. We just didn't know it. When I started working with the Sudanese, a couple things happened. One, first of all, I realized that <laughs> they're a whole lot better in evangelism and church planning than I was. And the second thing I realized is that there are 162 unreached people groups, Muslim unreached people groups in Sudan alone. If I trained them, they could take the gospel to them. And God was moving me into an area that I had not thought about. You see, I wanted to do something because it was my way of what I wanted to do. But God was saying, no, no, no. I've got something different in mind for you. The difficulty that we have oftentimes is that we tend to think we know what's best for us. We tend to think we know exactly what we should do in life, and we give no regard to what God has in mind 
for us. Just um, statistically, and I know statistics can be broad and statistics can be sometimes skewed, but statistically what people say is that about 10% of evangelical Christians spend time in God's Word. And equally, about 10% believe that the Word of God is relevant to their daily life. Just imagine that. Now, we're talking about people just like you and I. About 10% of us read God's Word on a regular basis, and about 10% believe that the Word of God is relevant to the way that we live out our life. That's sad. Because what's that doing is that's putting Jesus up there someplace instead of right here where he belongs. And there's a big difference. When, when we were getting ready to leave, we had to sell our house. It had to be done very quickly. The money that we needed to raise came in very quickly. And so um, we were getting ready to leave, and Janet said, I'm going to go down and visit my family and say goodbye to them. And I said, I'm going to sell the home if I can. Um, we didn't have it listed. Um, I just put a, yard, a sign up in the yard that said, for sale by owner. It was so... It was about as small as this, you know, and I thought, nobody's going to see that sign. About an hour later, I got a phone call from a guy, and he said, I saw your sign in the yard. And I thought, wow, okay. He says, I'm going to come over and look at your house. Is that all right? Sure. So he comes over and looks at the house, walks around on his own, basically. He comes back, and he's got a friend with him who was a real estate agent. He looks at me, and he says, um, I really like your house. And his friend who was the real estate agent, he wasn't my agent. He was with him. And he said, well, what are you going to offer him? And it kind of caught me by surprise. And the guy looked at me. He says, well, what are you asking for it? And it was back in the 90s. And I said, well, I'm asking 114.9. He says, well, will you take 114.5? I said, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I just sold the house. Wait till Janet hears this. So then he looks at me and he says, what are you going to do with all your furniture? I said, well, eventually we're going to go ahead and sell it and all that. And he says, well, just write it down on a piece of paper and put a price next to it. I'll pay it. I'll pay you for everything. Just leave it right here. I said to him, are you kidding me? I said, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you for it. And he says, that's all right. I trust you. Just put a number next to it. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I just sold the furniture. So then he looks at me and he says, well, what are you going to do with the cat and the dog? <laughs> at that point in time, I literally thought to myself, oh, Lord, I'm not doing anything. You're doing all of this. You're doing all of this. You see, when we step out in trust with a heart's desire to follow him, there are a couple of things that are extremely important that happen. I'll, I call them two takeaways. The first one is that God never has a problem speaking. It's we who have the problem listening. That's what the father was telling the son. If you would just listen to me. <laughs> How many times have we as parents have told our children, if you would just listen to me. But we don't listen well. But here's what happens. The writer of Hebrews says that if we don't listen. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you want to look at it later on, he says, if we don't listen, 
The metaphor he uses is that of like a boat that is no longer tied to a dock. What happens? It just drifts away. And that's what's going to happen with you and I. If we don't spend time listening to God and reading his word, because that's how he speaks to us, it's primarily to us. That's what the Scottish preacher was saying. Go into the word and let him speak to our hearts. If we don't do that, we will drift away. Don't say, well, it won't happen to me, because I guarantee it will happen to you. I know it from experience. Not just my life, but the experience of other lives of people that I've seen. Countless lives of individuals that I've run up against. The second takeaway that he gives is God has no problem leading us individually if we will let him. He has no problem doing that. Is that any problem listening to billions of prayers at one time? He's God. If he can't do that, he wouldn't be God. He has no problem leading us individually. He's not going to lead you necessarily into missions as he led us. But see, the point is this. We didn't go into missions because we wanted to become a missionary. We just went there because God said, here's the next part of the journey that I have for you. The biggest reason why we oftentimes don't want to have God lead and guide us is because we're afraid of what he'll ask us to do. But I can't imagine living any other way than what I have. Our journey with the Lord does not stop right now just because we're going to be soon going into retirement. Our journey with Christ will continue. I don't know what he has in mind for us beyond our vocational mission ministry. I don't know. But I know that he does. And I know that he'll make that known to me at the appropriate time. Let me end by saying that the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 2 again, verse 10, that Jesus is the author of our salvation. That word author there, as it's translated, has the idea of the pathfinder. He's the one who cuts the path where there is no path. That's why he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father but by me. I know where I'm going, he's saying. Follow me. And that's what he wants you to do is to follow him, to trust him, that he knows where he wants to take you, that he'll guide and lead you. And my encouragement to you is that you spend time reading his word, listening to his voice. When we read the word of God, we're not just reading words on a page, we're not just looking at letters, we're listening to a living voice. The word of God is living and active. It works in our hearts and our minds. And that's what he wants us to do, is to listen to him. Let us continue to follow him and trust in his unseen presence, relying upon him. And if we do, then his promise is, I will guide you, I will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your graciousness towards us in inviting us to walk along with you, and giving us your spirit to help guide us in your word that is alive, that speaks to our hearts. Thank you, Father. May you bless the hearts of your people today. May you delight to do in their lives what you have purposed to do. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.